Christ's candle will come, but it won't be right now. Well, I'm going to preach a sermon today, essentially about persecution. Yeah, all the junior high kids can head away. Keep your distance from one another. We love you, six feet apart. I'm going to preach a sermon on, on persecution. Um, it's another story about life in exile. I'm suggesting in this series that we are living in exile, as Daniel and his friends were so long ago. Uh, Daniel experienced persecution, looking at chapter 6. And I've wondered, you know, as, as I've jumped into this topic, are there people at IPC who have experienced persecution? H- have you suffered for your faith? And what do you think about that possibility? Now, in Canada, it's, it's possible to suffer for your faith, but the chances are that that persecution is not really significant. I mean, there may be times when people mock us if they find out we're believers, or they you walk away from a friendship, or we might struggle at work, maybe losing out on promotion, etc., etc., because of our faith that is known. But generally speaking, we don't struggle that much. I guess my question for us is, do we struggle at all? Now, there is, uh, just by way of illustration, one person in our church who has struggled significantly and been quite severely persecuted. Um, Miriam Jaffrey, who's with us today, and she's given me permission to share her story, shared uh, on this platform some years ago about how, growing up in Iran, um, she had become a follower of Jesus, and the authorities found out, and the secret police uh, tried to kill her, stabbed her numerous times. Um... By God's grace, Miriam survived that, and and she escaped uh, from her country, and she's with us now. And that's an extreme expression of persecution that she lived through. But I want to tell you something. She knew that this might happen if she chose to follow Jesus. Because in that land, it's not allowed. You're not allowed if you're a Muslim to convert. It's just not done. But she chose to follow Jesus anyway. And I want you to know that this is not really that uncommon a story in many places of the world. All over the world right now, Christians are imprisoned and are dying because they follow Jesus. That is their level of commitment to him. Well, we're going to turn our attention to Daniel chapter 6, and I'm going to read it for you. King Nebuchadnezzar, we've spoken of him in recent weeks, he's gone. As a matter of fact, his empire is over. The, The Medes and the Persians... Persians coming from what's Iran now have taken over, um, and uh, King Darius is in charge, different king altogether. Daniel is now 70 years old, he's not the late teenager of chapter 1, where he uh, chose not to eat the food that the king offered to him. Uh, And it doesn't take very long at all in the reign of King Darius for persecution to begin. I'm going to read you the story, the full chapter again, it takes some time, but it's a great story, and it's, it's worth reading. Um, what, what we're going to see in this uh, is, is persecution of Daniel because he is a Hebrew, he's Jewish. It's, this is anti-Semitism. It happened then, it still happens today. It's remarkable. Uh, and, and I just want you to notice one little phrase. He's a, a ruling power politically in this nation, but he is referred to by his enemies as one of the captives from Judah. It's a derogatory reference to him as they seek the persecution that they desire for him, the harm. So let me read this story now. It's Daniel chapter 
six, and I've lost my page number that always lets me get at it quickly. There it is. There it is. Uh, and I'm going to read the whole story to you uh, from verse one and all the way to the end. So listen to this. Listen to this as the word of God. And when I say that to you, what I mean, what I'm really getting at is listen for God speaking to you in this text. This is the word of God. He wishes to address your life. If he doesn't address your life by his spirit, he doesn't profoundly impact you and call you to something or encourage you or convict you. If he doesn't do his work among you, it's, I'm wasting my breath in a sense. Hear God in this. And then obviously in what I have to say, which will follow. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom. You know what, my friends? I didn't take this off, did I? And this is always a nuisance. Excuse me just a second. I'm getting used to it. All right, how's that? Better? Yeah, there you go. I can hear myself now. So here we go. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel, very powerful man now in the land. The satraps were made uh, accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and satraps tried to find ground for grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators Prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now your majesty issued the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Note that. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days anyone who prays to any god or human being except you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who was one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went, to, went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A, st a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel 
situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the man who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. Before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and people of every language and all the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius, the reign of Cyprus, Cyrus of Persia. This is an incredible story. I mean, if you can actually find yourself in that circumstance, it would actually amaze you to realize what took place. Did you notice what Daniel did as soon as he heard about this decree? He went straight home and he prayed. He went and prayed. I want to tell you why he did so. I mean, he could have just taken 30 days off, couldn't he? Couldn't he rationalize it like that? Well, I'll just take a month off, and then I'll pray to God again. But he didn't. Listen, though, to 2 Chronicles 6. Um, King Solomon has built the temple. He is now dedicating the temple. He's basically saying to the people of Israel, when you need God, pray here. When you need forgiveness, come here and repent. When you have a drought, ask for rain. When, when, you're, when you have starvation, ask for food. This is the location of the dwelling of God from this point forward. And then 36 to 39 says this. When they, he's meaning his people, when the Israelites sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and give them over to the enemy, who takes them captive to a land far away or near. And if they have changed a change of heart in the land where they are held captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captivity and say, we have sinned, we have done wrong and acted wickedly. And if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul in the land of their captivity where they were taken and pray toward the land you gave their ancestors, toward the city you have chosen and toward the temple I have built for your dwelling name, for your name, then from heaven your dwelling place, hear their prayers and their pleas and uphold their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Do you see what Daniel's doing in this instance? He has gone to scripture. He understands what scripture has says. He knows he's in that place of captivity that Solomon talked about, which would, would happen. And he is acting in absolute obedience to God as, as he understood, understood God's will through God's word. He's praying toward Jerusalem. And he refuses to stop doing it even even though the king has made this edict. Here's another just interesting and brief comment about why he prays three times a day. Psalm 55, verse 17, it says, 
evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. This is Daniel. He knows this psalm. He knows what the word of God requires of him. You see, to uh, the people of God in that day, a day began in the evening, and in the morning and the afternoon, and then a new day began. It says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 5, that there was evening and there was morning, dash, the first day. That's why Jewish people still to this day begin their, their Sabbath on a Friday night when the sun goes down. And it ends on Saturday night when the sun goes down. He is doing exactly what the Word of God is calling him to do. Three times a day, looking to the east, calling on God in his distress to save his people. He's, he's praying in repentance. He is following the instruction of God, just as he did in chapter 1 when he was a young man and he refused the food offered by the king. Just as his three friends did in chapter 3, which we looked at last week when they refused to bow down to idols. Here, he knows the word of God. He's living it out. He's living in obedience and in faith before the God with whom he and his people are in covenant relationship. You know, I want to tell you, Daniel would have known he would have lost power likely, in order to do this, to defy the king. He would have known that probably he would lose his life unless God intervened. But he prays with incredible conviction and incredible courage and determination and faith and with incredible commitment to God. I want to tell you, my friends, this is the faith we're called to. This is the conviction that we're called to, the determination that we're called to, the courage that we're called to. You see, we are in covenant relationship with God. I've reflected on it as we've done the baptisms today. The New Testament, the new covenant, which is made in Christ, God is fully committed to you and to us. Do you know that? He has promised to provide for us and to care for us and to love us and to bless us. We're his people. But in return, what do we do? We covenant ourselves with God. We fully and completely commit ourselves to him and to faithfulness before him and to obedience to his call in our lives. And I want to tell you what we see here in Daniel is not something that happened thousands of years ago that we can just dismiss as something ancient. This is a living reality that we are called to today. My first challenge to you this morning, are you committed in such fashion to God if you are his? Are you that committed to knowing scripture, to digging in deeply to it? I have promoted this in recent months and years. You can't know what faithfulness is to God until you really know what Scripture says. And then when you discover what it says, are we a people which is committed fully to doing what God calls us to do? What a challenge even as we begin today. Well, this led to persecution. It was an attack, political attack by his rivals. They didn't want him to become the one who governed the whole land next to the king. They wanted to take him out. I want to tell you, too, there was evil behind this. This is a man who is a witness to Yahweh in a foreign land. This is a man who, who is a light shining in a dark place. This is a man who, in exile, is being faithful to his God. And, my friends, we have such an enemy in our lives. Jesus said, one who came to steal, kill, and destroy. Do you think about that much? One who came to steal from you, to kill, and to destroy your life, whether it be physically, spiritually, emotionally, whatever it might be. 
Well, what happens uh, happens too often when a culture is hostile to the people of God because persecution occurs, obviously, in Daniel's life. The more hostility there is in a culture, the more persecution there will be and the more severe it will be. It's really interesting in chapter 3 where the three uh, Hebrew men refused to worship an idol. They were persecuted because of what the king told them to do to worship an idol. And they refused to do what the king told them to do. Here in this passage, Daniel is persecuted because the king told him what not to do. But he did it anyway. And very simply, persecution happens. It's nothing more than Christian people being unable to follow a law of the land out of obedience to God. It's happening all over the world right now. Could it happen here someday? It depends on to what degree this culture moves toward hostility toward the Lord. But yes, it could happen here. I want to read to you Acts chapter 5, verse 29. This is the apostles speaking. They're being tried, if you would. They're being called up before the authorities. And this is what is said, Acts 5, 29. Peter and the other apostles replied, listen to this, we must obey God rather than human beings. You see, there's the call of God and there's the call of political power, governing power. And we, as we've talked about, we live in the land to bless the land. We do what we can do to live in accordance with the land. Look, you're all wearing masks and I have plexiglass in front of me. Just as these folks, we talked about it earlier, they, they accepted the education the king had for them in chapter 1. They accepted the names that they, that they were given. But they knew where to draw the line. We have got to get to a place where we will listen to God's law more when it conflicts with human law than human law itself. And in that context, my friends, we could be persecuted. See, Daniel as a young man had determined not to defile himself. That's the word that's used in chapter 1. By not eating the food that was contrary, that would have been contrary to the word of God. And he had established a pattern in his life which persisted to this day. 70 years of age likely. An old man. And I want to just take a moment. Young people note this. Choices that you make when you're young can and likely will determine the pattern of your lives. Take that so seriously as you choose to live in obedience to the Lord. Well, what about us? You know, have you ever been persecuted? Will we ever be persecuted? Um, as I've said, the more our culture rejects God and His ways, the more likely it becomes that, a laws, that laws will be passed which we cannot live by. It's possible, but we're not there now. As I said earlier, it's more a matter of potentially being mocked or losing a friendship, or losing a promotion at work. It's more a matter of, of, uh, of much milder sorts of negative influence, but they can come, and they can hurt. Um, here's the best, if, if, if I can put it this way, <clears throat> application, <clears throat> excuse me, to the circumstance which is given uh, in, in this text for us here today. What is it, if you would, that the king is telling us to do that we can't do? What is that? Well, here's the best application I can come to. <clears throat> we are told in this culture as Christian people to keep our faith to ourselves. We are told that we can have a privatized faith. <clears throat> Excuse me. But we can't bring that faith into the public square. 
We can have it, we can hold it, we can exercise it in our buildings. But we're not allowed to speak our faith out there. We're told to be quiet. And for the most part, from my observation, that's what Christians in Canada have done. Now, the question becomes, is this contrary to Scripture? What do you think? Well, Jesus said to his disciples and through them to us, I'm going to make you fishers of men and of women. I'm going to make you into people who don't worry about catching fish for a living. I want you to go out and I want you to tell people about me so that they can come to believe in me. That's what I want to give you to give you the focus of your life to. I want to tell you those people then couldn't, nor can we today, lead people into a relationship with Jesus without telling them about our faith, speaking it out loud. Jesus said at his last words, go into all the world and preach the gospel and teach them to observe. You can't preach and teach without talking. It's part of what we're called to. And as I read to you from Acts chapter 5, the apostles refused to be quiet and they were imprisoned for it. They refused to be quiet. And they suffered as a result. And in the end of the day, our question is, who will we obey? The law of human beings or the law of God? One of the things that really strikes me also about this text is what else Daniel could have done. He could have chosen just not to pray for 30 days, but he refused out of commitment to the word of God. But you know what? He could also have just gone home and closed his windows and prayed. (laughs) Well, I'll just close my windows and I'll pray. No one's going to know but he wouldn't do it. Listen, he refused to hide his faith. He refused. Today we'd say he refused to be what is called a closet Christian. Closet Christians are believers who have faith, but keep that faith to themselves. No one knows that they're followers of Jesus, and they don't suffer because no one knows that they are believers. I want you to listen to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10 says this. If you declare with your what? Can you say it with me? Mouth. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Now, we in the Reformed tradition have profession of faith. As little babies grow up, baptized, brought into the communion of, of God's people based on the faith of their parents, we trust and pray that as we all love them and care for them and nurture them in faith, they come to their personal faith, and then they stand right here and they profess their faith publicly that they are followers of Jesus. They've come to believe. But I cannot, as good as that is, believe that that is the only application of this text. We have to declare publicly, we have to speak of it, that Jesus is our Lord. And what this text says, quite frankly, that we have to do both, believe in our heart and speak it, in order to be saved. It's a profound, remarkable verse or two. See, real faith, saving faith is faith that people aren't afraid to show, even if it will produce suffering in their lives. You know, I've had a recent realization about some of these things. And that is that other people of other faiths often identify themselves with that faith outwardly through their clothing. 
Sikh men wear turbans. Muslim women wear the burqa. Jewish men at times wear the, the kippah, the little hat that you see Jewish men wearing occasionally. You see, they identify themselves with clothing. We don't. Now, I hope that we will identify ourselves, for example, by the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and so forth. The boy, that's what needs to identify us as the people of God. But I want to tell you, my friends, we also need to identify ourselves with Christ with our words. We can't keep quiet. Jesus is, is speaking these verses that I'm going to read to you now in the context of persecution. Matthew chapter uh, 10, verse 32. And, you know, he, he's addressing his disciples. He's telling them essentially what it is that he wants them, uh, how he wants them to function. And he says, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but that is a powerful verse to grapple with if you're a follower of Christ. Identify with me, I will identify with you in the last day. But if you, if you don't acknowledge me, if you don't identify with me, I'm not going to identify you, with you when it comes to the, the, the judgment. My goodness, how powerful that is. Are you beginning to see the significance of what we're speaking of here? I'm going to quote a, a little song that children were taught a long time ago, and I was surprised how many people in the first service actually remember this, so I guess I'm addressing folks who are at home as well. But how many of you were taught as a child the song, Dare to be a Daniel? Let me see your hands go up. Mm, probably more in the first service, which was much smaller in number. But the song is this, Dare, dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to have a purpose firm. And then this, dare to make it known. What an what a incredible summarization of the text and of, of the truth of God for us today. Can I ask you, my friends, are you willing to do that in this world? Where we're not supposed to talk about our faith? Where our faith is, is, is to be privatized, it's supposed to be something that we hold internally, but we never share publicly? Well, what happens? Number one, God rescues Daniel. He sends an angel, and that angel shuts the mouths of the lions. Again, God intervenes and saves his people. God promises, I am with you. I will provide for you. I will take care of you. I will be with you in those dark moments if indeed they come. Hmm. What's the message in this text as a result? The message is faithfulness to God is everything. That's everything even to the point of potentially giving up our lives. And if there are times that we suffer, even in the more mild ways that might exist in this culture of ours, my friends, we need to accept that suffering is part of following Jesus. Do you think of it in those terms? And suffering can never keep us from obedience to God as His Word reveals His will to us. Second result of this, I suppose, is the king acknowledges God. <laughs> That's dramatic. It's beautiful. Because of his willingness to stand and of his convictions, because of his refusal to do anything other than what God called him to, this king acknowledges the living God. It's a, it's a profound, remarkable statement of faith that's in this text. You know, let me read it to you again. Chapter 6, yes, here it is. 
For he, this is the king speaking, is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He, this God named Yahweh, rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. And he rescued Daniel from the power of the lion. I want to tell you, my friends, by us taking our stand, by us identifying with Christ, by us sharing the fact that we are believers in Jesus verbally, other people will come to know Jesus. You know, I heard a story um, from Ember Lee earlier today. Where is she? Is she here with us? Okay, she's not. I'm going to tell you the story then. Where? Way up there. Okay, I'm not going to ask you to come down from way up there, Ember Lee. But she said, you know, this just happened to me. I said, what happened? This is just before this second service. She said, uh, she's in the band. She heard the sermon a while ago. And she's listening a second time. What a woman. What a woman. Um... She said, I was selling raw carrot soup at the Woodstock Market. Our people do that every week. I found out I had an extra bag of soup. Um, I bought it myself, and I decided to give it to somebody in, you know, another booth, essentially. Just led by God to do so. So she went and said, God, she said this to this woman that she didn't really know, some acquaintanceship, but nothing else. God has told me to give you this bag of soup. And the woman's response is, are you, what was the word, Amberly? telepathic or something? <laughs> and everybody said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. And the woman was blown away that in this moment of her life that someone would be kind and good to her, so much so that she thought Amberly was telepathic. <laughs> she wasn't, but God had told her to do something and she just did it. And she identified herself with Jesus. And then Amberly said, could I pray for you? And the woman said, okay, and she prayed right there and right then. You see what I'm talking about? This is not hard. This is not, this is not brain surgery. It's just going along into someone's life and saying, can I love you? Can I care for you? Remember a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, Jeff talked about how he was in the hospital getting his, some tests done. And God told him, Jeff's words, to go and pray for this family. And he knew that they had just lost someone and they were in grief. So God went, uh, Jeff went and he kind of, he said 12 feet away, he prayed for the folks and he got in his car and drove downtown to do whatever he needed to do. And God, by his spirit, said, no, I, that's not what I told you to do. I want you to go back and I want you to pray with them. So he turned the car around and he went back to the hospital and he found the people and he said, can I pray with you? Here I am, a person of faith. Can I pray with you? Identifying ourselves with Jesus and blessing people. Now, in both of those instances, that worked out beautifully. They didn't end up suffering for it, but sometimes it will, my friends. Sometimes it will. And we have to accept that as part of what it means to live in obedience to Christ. So in the end of the day, two questions as we start to wind down here. This is the first question. And I want you to really grapple with this. Are we closet Christians? Are you? Am I? Have we listened to the culture when it tells us, be quiet, keep your faith to yourself, don't share it with others? I'm telling you, it's a profound pressure that has been exerted on the church of Christ. And I do believe, for the most part, we have accepted it and we have formed a habit of not talking about Jesus, unless we're among like-minded people. Beyond that question, are we closet Christians What's the option? The option is this, that we will throw open the windows and the doors of our lives and let everyone see who we are as we identify with the Lord. Can we come to a place where that becomes our passion? 
Our hearts desire that other people will know that we follow Jesus. Think of this as on a, on a continuum with two poles. This pole over here is, I'm telling nobody that I follow Jesus. And this pole over here is, I'm going to tell as many people as I can. Right? This is my heart's desire. This is my commitment. This is what I'm called to. This is my greatest joy. <laughs> you see, my friends, when we choose to stand at this end of the continuum, we're at the exact opposite end of what we're called to. And we can get ourselves to a place if we will simply accept that, yes, sometimes I'm going to suffer by identifying with Christ. We can get ourselves to a place where we are 100% in in our commitment to Jesus and we are eager for the world to know about him. You know, it's funny. For a long, long time, I've been somebody who sort of just rolls his eyes when he sees Christian bumper stickers. Anybody like that? You know, honk if you love Jesus. And, you know, somebody's really mad at you and they're honking and you're going, hey, God bless you, I love him too. <laughs> Make the guy even madder, right? <laughs> you know, or, 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 or the ichthus, you know, the little fish, the, the, the symbol that Christians, when they would be killed if they identified as Christ in, in, the, in the first century church, they would draw a fish with their toe on the ground and they would help identify themselves to one another. But ichthus is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's, a, it's an acrostic in the Greek language. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, ichthus. Or the idea of wearing a shirt says, I love Jesus. Is Jeff in the building? What was that shirt you wore this week? Oh, I meant to take a picture of it. Kingdom culture? You know, he was doing it. You know what I'm thinking? I think, you know, we, we have come to a place where we might need Christian bumper stickers to it, like just to do something to let people we know we believe and love Jesus. Or the exus. Or, or shirts that say kingdom culture or I love Jesus or something to break the habit so that people can hear our faith so that some might come to believe even though some might hurl insults at us. My friends, are we willing to come out of the closet so that other people might come to believe in Jesus? And secondly, and in relationship to that, are we willing to suffer for Christ? See, here's the deal. We will either come to a place where we're willing to suffer for Christ or we will hold on to the belief that being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus is something that is easy and comfortable. There are many people who will tell you that. Follow Jesus and all your problems will go away. Follow Jesus and you'll be blessed remarkably financially in other fashions. You know what the Bible says here today? Follow Jesus and you're likely to suffer for him. That's what this text says. And I, I want to ask the people of this church and other guests who might be with us today because of the baptism, are you willing to suffer for Christ as you identify yourself with him? And I want to tell you, Christianity is not for the weak of heart. It is for those like Daniel who are, are, peop who are people of conviction and of determination and of courage and of great commitment to their Lord. And sometimes what that means is that we're going to get hurt in this culture. It's not likely we're going to prison. It's not likely we're going to be attacked by the secret police because we don't have it. But it might mean we get hurt. And that's something, my friends, I think we need to fully and completely accept as part of following the Lord.
I want to leave you with one verse, and then we'll sing another song, and we'll go home. 1 Peter 2, 21 says this. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you, listen, an example to follow, that you should follow in his steps. Following after Jesus means following him in the way of suffering. But listen, because he was willing to suffer, many of us here are saved. Many of us here are in the kingdom of God. Many of us know the beauty and the power and the grace and the love of God in our lives. And we will know that for eternity. And if we're willing to join Jesus in suffering, identify with him to that extent, I am telling you there will be many, many, many people who come to hear about and believe in Christ. If we are willing to follow in his footsteps. Final question, and it's really simple. Are we? Let's pray. Gracious God, what an incredibly challenging text. A text which Let's us know that sometimes being part of your family isn't easy. It's sometimes really hard. But Lord God, we pray that you will give us the courage and the conviction similar to that of Daniel's where we're, we're willing to identify with you. We're willing to live in obedience to your word regardless, even if it means we suffer. Lord, help us not to go looking for it necessarily, but Lord, as we are people of the word, as we read it, as we understand it, and as we live in obedience to you through understanding your will in Scripture, we pray that you will enable us. You'll give us the grace and the courage to just admit to the whole world where possible, I am a follower of Christ. I believe in Jesus. Lord, we're going to sing a Christmas carol, Joy to the World. It seems uh, odd in a sense to sing that now, but Lord, we recognize that joy can be ours in any circumstance. Hope can be ours in any circumstance. Lord, even when we've suffered for you, sometimes it's there that the joy is the greatest because we know we have stood up for you. Lord, we, 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 we just recognize that to these things we're called. And we pray, Lord, that whenever we find ourselves in that place, hurting because we're yours, we pray that uh, we will know your joy because Christ has come. Bless us in this, we pray. Amen.